0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. We are in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Orr. Well, uh, hello again this morning. Welcome, both from in the field and at home. Glad y'all are here with us Um, as we uh, look at this psalm together. We've been looking at these psalms, and I want to say next week, uh, I'm encouraged to have Micah Edmondson, our new uh, fourth location pastor, going to be preaching for us here. Um, I'm really excited about that. Um, He'll be here preaching on Psalm 128. And uh, we've been looking at this collection of psalms. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I, I don't know how much TV you've been watching uh, during this time. I'm sure we could all measure. That would be an interesting thing, wouldn't it? How much TV, how much screen time we have had outside of Zoom uh, to watch things. But, uh, you know, one of the things I kind of miss, you know, watch a lot of comedy things. One of the things I miss is uh, some good Saturday Night Live stuff, you know. I know they've tried to do that. It's kind of an odd thing to do from their homes. But Saturday Night Live used to have this one sketch I loved. Um, it was called Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy, right? Now, if you remember this, if you don't, they still have it on the website. So you can go and find it. <clears throat> and it was this guy who had come on, I don't even know whose voice it was. And it would be super calm. They'd play this kind of very chill music and show clouds and like harps in the background. And then he would say his wisdom or thought for the day. Some of them went like this. One was, it takes a big man to cry, but it takes a bigger man to laugh at that man. Consider the daffodil. And while you're doing that, I'll be over here looking through your stuff. (laughs) And here is always my favorite. To me, it's a good idea to always carry around two sacks of something when you walk around. That way, if anybody ever says, hey, can you give me a hand? You can say, sorry, got these sacks. You, that, that one's actually, that wisdom has come in handy at home quite a bit. Sorry, got these two sacks, can't do anything. But everybody's looking for wisdom, right? I always love those things. But, but in this time particularly, we've all been looking for some sort of word, something to speak into our life, uh, you know, sound bites, uh, something that gives us an update of where we're heading, some, something that gives us whether it be financial peace, whether it be physical peace, some news, some wisdom that speaks in, and be it funny or otherwise, something that speaks into just an era of confusion, a climate of difficulty. We want somebody to give us something. You know, this psalm, I don't know if you noticed when it was being read, really reads a lot more like a proverb or something from Ecclesiastes, something from one of those other books in the Old Testament that's kind of a, a genre of literature where wisdom is discussed and talked about how to live a proper life. The Psalms are interesting because the Psalms are, as some theologians said, are almost like, they say, a small Bible within the Bible. It holds almost every genre you can think of. History, poetry, wisdom, prophecy. I mean, they're all there. And this one in particular is kind of this amalgam of both psalm literature and wisdom. And then you see this word vain or vanity, right? Those who build it labor in vain. <clears throat> Proverbial or ecclesiastical, something of a, like it's all meaningless, vapor, right? It's something that you, you would recognize. Maybe Solomon, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, who wrote many of the Proverbs, many of the parts of Ecclesiastes, that his voice is in this. And we've been looking at the last several weeks, which I've loved looking at the Psalms, but this selection of the Psalms, 120 through 134, which are called the Psalms of Ascent. These are Psalms that people would sing as they were moving up to Jerusalem for certain Jewish festivals, as they would travel some 90, maybe even 100 miles away on foot, just to get there to, to worship. And they would sing these along the way. Now, this one is an interesting one because you wouldn't necessarily think of it as one that you're singing, but maybe even in some ways like out of left field, here's the proverbial wisdom. Here's wisdom of how does how do we plan? How do we build? Maybe it's a reflection as, as this song went on, a reflection of what uh, uh, life is to be like. So we're gonna look at this Psalm in the parts that it really draws up, which is very convicting. How does the Lord how do we plan and how does the Lord plan? Just those simple things. That's what's really built into this. How does does man plan? How do we, as men and women and our, our work and family life and city and all of it, it's all kind of wrapped up in this, how do we plan? How do we forge ahead? And then how does God really plan? And why is God really a game changer of our relationship with Him in that? Because if you're here and you're new to possibly Christianity or maybe you're cynical about it, you might be asking the question that you should be asking is, okay, I'm building, I'm doing all these things all the time. Why does God have to build it and how does he do that? What does that mean? You know, when when it ta- when it talks about unless the Lord builds the house, <clears throat> those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain. You notice that word just keeps coming up. It is in vain. Why is it vain? You know, uh, Thomas Hibbs uh, wrote a book some time ago called Shows About Nothing, Uh, a hint back to Seinfeld, which is one of my favorite TV shows, but he was talking about TV shows in general and the cynicism in them. He said about the the insight in the use of humor in modern sitcoms that are tinged with an edge of anger or frustration, and he speaks of what's called the magisterial use of coincidence. In other words, that all of life is just cynical. So we might as well just embrace it and laugh at it. There's not a whole lot of meaning to it. We're just kind of random. Life is just that way. So let's just make fun of it instead of, you know, hence the show's about nothing, right? But also it's a general sense of, and listen to this, absurdity, meaninglessness, pointlessness, and all of human effort or pursuits, uh, in, in all of human efforts or pursuits that are often portrayed. And you can feel that. I mean, we're wanting a laugh. We're wanting something to lift us out. Even, you know, we could touch on this this time when we're all confined or are finding ourselves in a place of, uh, of weird kind of, you know, needing wisdom or guidance or encouragement in the midst of confusion, <clears throat> something to lift us out. But the true issue that's being drawn out here from the psalmist, which may have been Solomon, by the way, is that the problem of man's heart, the attempt is to find meaning without God in it. It's to forge ahead. And even if we would say we might be, you know, we are Christians, that as we follow Jesus, we can still practically try and live this way. You know, to try and build something, to try and gain something, to try and move something. You know, both work and family are spoken of here, that plans, we plan. Verses one and two talk about work. Talk about toil, anxious, work, toil, putting our, our hands into this life, in the city, what needs to be done. And, and verses three through five, talk about family, the plans we have for that. What is the, the plan we have for that? You know, what I like about this is it's hitting both sides of our thought. It's hitting both a collectivist and an individualist mind. It's hitting the individualist of what you put your hands to, you can make. It's also talking about the collectivist mind, the family. See, the the view of the family in this psalm would be very different even of what we think of family. A psalmist here isn't thinking of our uh, 21st century family. Collectivist mind here was Children were a heritage because they did. You had children in order to work, in order to have a business, in order to fortify a city, in order to do life in the city. It wasn't just our own little homes. it was everything was affected by that. So both work and family are hit, and we could even say both liberal and conservative thought are in this song. You know, if you want to put it into those extremes, since we, we live in that kind of era, one of, one of the things that you could talk about here is that <clears throat> for those of us individualists, our rights are what we create. My dream, my American dream is there as well as my family, my unit, that, those kind of things. What do those mean? The psalmist is bringing both those together and saying, plans that we have can be vain. And the word vain is in several books of the Bible here. We've heard that word before. Sometimes we may think of vain as looking in the mirror and seeing ourselves and thinking of what we think, but it's actually more, it's actually really difficult to define in the Bible. Uh, In Hebrew, it means a a number of things. It means a few things, and I want to draw them out because I think it'll give us a full orbed picture of uh, what it really means. The, The first kind of view of the prism of what vain means, it could be brevity, like unsubstantial emptiness, kind of the ideal of something that's fleeting. Uh, you know, it's freezing out right now, so you can see your breath. When it is cold at some point, <clears throat> um, you can see your breath, right, when it's cold out. Uh, I was even as on the way here this morning, driving early, and seeing in the lower parts of uh, certain areas just that mist, that fog that's there because the temperature drops and then rises, you know, to 90 in about, you know, an hour And so there's that fog that sits there and then all of a sudden it's gone because the sun hits it and it just burns it up. That's the kind of idea of of what that is. It's a brevity. In the the Bible, Cain and Abel, at the very beginning of the Bible, the name Abel even means vapor. It means, uh, it derives his his name from this fleeting, transitory. And putting our weight on something like that, putting putting our, our hope in something of that vanity falls apart. This happens sometimes if we put our weight into something too much and it's not meant to hold it. It's not able to hold it, be it a relationship, be it a job. You know, when you build something into the house, when you put all of your life into it, it can really find itself going away just like that. Uh, Irony of ironies, uh, and they're doing okay with it. Our neighbors even, uh, two doors down, are building a great house. Uh, they decided they were going to raise their house. They went and, you know, we live in a floodplain, so you have to get all this work done. They went and got fought for it, got the, the permit to even raise the house out of the floodplain so they could build it. They built this beautiful home. And guess what? Now they have to move <laughs> because he got a job in another city. They built their whole dream house. They love where they are. And now they're going, oh man, do we have to rent or do we keep it? What do we do? How do we, what do we do with our home now? <laughs> all the toil, all that. And then we got to move for a different job. You know, it feels that way, right? It's elusive, it's moving on. Albert Camus, who's a philosopher, said it in this way <clears throat> In the myth of Sisyphus, which some of you may be those kind of uh, Greek mythology uh, folks that love that, it's a story of uh, someone who was um, sent to Hades and Sisyphus, and as his punishment, he had to do every day roll a stone up a hill only at the end of the day, the stone to roll back down. And then the next day begins with him rolling it up and it coming down. And that is his life for eternity. That's the feeling of it. It's doing all this work and then it just comes back down on us. Feeling that brevity in that life. Another one is uh, that Solomon draws out in other places and even Ecclesiastes. He says this, what does it, what does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Ecclesiastes uses this under the sun a lot, which is perfect for our day today. What is it? What do we gain from that? And the word actually advantage or what, do you, what gain is profit. And it even means this. It means you can gain success. You can gain some sort of success. You can actually see it. That's the hard thing about it, right? I think sometimes we equate success with wisdom, or success with uh, meaningfulness, but it doesn't always mean that. Things that we get profit from don't always hold weight. Just because they're success doesn't mean it's not futile, because we're putting our <clears throat> we're putting our our whole self into it. It's unreliable. Another idea of the view of of vanity is unreliable, frail. This is even the the language of what idols are in the Old Testament. When you hear the word idol, uh, you may think of like a little wooden thing or something. Well, it wasn't just those that they built up in the Old Testament or that were around. It was what they provided. It's the fact that, okay, if, if I give to this God, little g God, then they're gonna bless me, right? If I give them, okay, we always talk about my plans. I'm gonna make my plans and then I'm gonna say, God, will you bless this? so that I can be a blessing. And that's typically what people thought of their relationship with God was like. In the Old Testament, God is constantly having to teach his people that I'm not like any other God. You don't sacrifice to me and then in hope get rain. (laughs) You don't give to me. I'm not like an idol. I'm not like one of those other uh, small G gods that you give to and try and appease in order to get something. That's typically what I think we do when we try and build or labor or work, build a work, build a family. We hope we, if, we, if, we just, if we just do our thing and then say, God, will you bless this? And there's success, then we actually think we are committing our plans. But we may just be saying, God, will you just cause this to succeed without God in the picture? That's actually more of what the idols were like. I remember when I was uh, little, the house next door to me was being built up and we were playing. It was perfect. It was under construction. So a little kid playing hide and go seek in a house that's under construction. That's safe, right? Yeah. So we were all over next door and I remember going on the second story and finding this little nook where the stairs kind of went up and I could hide and the stairs covered me and there was just a little hole and no one could find. It was awesome. Best hiding place. And all of a sudden, I just felt my stomach go up into my throat and the bottom fell. And I fell, you know, a good 12 feet on a, on a it looked like, I'm sure if somebody's watching, it looked like a cartoon. It, it, the, the, the wood just fell and I hit, knocked the breath out and everybody found me and they were like, what's wrong? I was like, oh, I can't speak. And they're like, we got you. You're it, you know, uh, just cruel. But I, it was one of those things like the building of that. That's actually a great great illustration of what it's like. It's, it's you put your weight on something and you think you have it all together and then the bottom falls out. And then we start to think, wait a minute. <clears throat> we don't first think, how's my relationship to the Lord? We think, what did I do wrong? Am I being cursed? What's wrong with me? And that's what vanity does. It tricks you. It it, it puts you in a position to think that whether it be failure or success, that we can, that, that equates something that's up to us and that we can put God in a position to manipulate him to get, get what we need. You know, it's, its futility its frustration paul picks this up in romans 8 when he talks about this he says our plans romans 8 says this roman paul was a writer who wrote letters to churches and one of the most powerful theological letters ever when he's writing about what it's like to live in relationship to god through the holy spirit he says in 820 he says its futility creation was subjected to it he harkens back to genesis very beginning of the bible to where sin impacted the way we work. The Why Why do we feel what we feel? Why do we experience this frustration and vanity, so to speak? Why is it there? Because there's a curse over it. And the thing we want to do most is try and reverse the curse ourselves. When we build, when we plan, and we all do, it's vain because we want to make that our own. And we, it becomes something that we think is is easy to hide in, easy to find security in, easy to sit on. And the bottom drops out and we wonder, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with the plans? What's wrong with everything? Instead of remembering, what do we really find our security in? See, that's why the psalmist here takes the time to say, the Lord plans and builds. Why is God so important in our building and planning? Why? Why? What makes it different? And how is he really different? He gives two really practical, beautiful things. The first is his answer. He says in verse two, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Doesn't that feel like everything these days? Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. The word anxious toil there is a direct quote from Genesis three, when sin entered the picture. And it says this in verses 18 and 19 thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken and for you are dust and to dust you shall return. It's giving us the picture. Why is work so hard? Because there is a curse over it. And we think we can reverse the curse, but what does God give to the psalmist? What's the first thing? Sleep. You wouldn't anticipate that, I don't think, right? God says he gives sleep to his beloved. Why in the world would he say sleep? What's, why, why rest the first thing? If you look at the Psalms, if you look at um, David's life, Solomon's life, one of the hardest things to do when you're a king is to sleep, because you're always afraid somebody's gonna betray you. If you're on the run, like David was in the Bible, if you read about David on the run, he was constantly looking over his shoulder. He was sleeping in caves. It was so hard for him to sleep. And oftentimes in the Psalms, when he wants to really know what it means to know his limits, to trust God, and to remember safety in him, what does it mean to find yourself secure in him? He asks for sleep. Because there's no other place than when we have to, we're forced to sleep, forced to rest, that we're face to face with our limitations, that we can't watch over ourselves. See, it reminds us to stop and embrace that we're limited. We're not made to go all the time, we're not limitless. God made us this way. In fact, he set up creation this way. It says even on the seventh day that God rested. Did he need to rest? No, he set it up that way so we would know we have to rest. Because the only way we can know that the curse is reversed by someone else, that our plans are gonna be you know, made sure is if we don't put our whole weight on our plans. If we put them in the someone who watches us, the one who actually builds into us. Yes, He uses us. Yes, it doesn't mean you should work. Like, it would be easy, and I think oftentimes people read into Christianity as a lazy religion because, oh, we just believe in God's grace. No, if we actually believe that God is the one who builds, it actually gives us freedom to work more and harder and also rest. See, in fact, the the way that the week is set up now, particularly as Christians, is that the reason we worship on Sunday isn't to be the end of our week. It's actually to drive into our week. It's actually to reset, recalibrate our work by resting, worshiping, coming before God, the one who establishes our plans, and then going Monday to Saturday, however you want to call that, to say, this is this is the lens through which I work. Monday isn't the first day, Sunday is. That's why the... The first church put worship on Sunday because Jesus rose on a Sunday. Why would Jesus resurrect on that day and then the first day of worship is that day? Because the resurrection, our life in Him, the one who actually said, It is finished on the cross from all the work that He had done, taking our sin, the weight of the world, and said, It is finished, the only one that can actually say, It is finished and feel at rest in Jesus was raised so that on this day we worship and it resets us to stop us, to remind us of what, how we worship and how we go forward. I was watching, um, I've been watching, I'm sure I'm mentioning shows because we're all watching shows, right? I'm sure we'll stand around. I want to hear what you're watching and, you know, reading and all those things. I was watching a new show recently and um, there's a lot of cowboys and farmers and agricultural metaphors on this show, Um, really interesting show. And the main character on it was praying. And he prayed openly to a group of uh, farmers and agriculturalists. He said, God, give us rain, a little luck, and we'll do the rest. And you know, that's the opposite of what this psalm is saying. A psalm is not saying, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build. what is it actually saying? It's God is active. He's active now. It means that when you and I sleep, we have to trust that he's never sleeping. That's why he pushes us to rest. That's why he says he gives to his beloved sleep to replenish, to remind us we're limited, we're safe. You can't watch yourself, can you, when you sleep? We may have house alarms and all these things, but who really watches us? Who gives us breath when we're sleeping? Who's the one that is with us the whole time? It's not a God who's distant and says, give some luck and go forward. It's one who watches us all the time, even now and is with us because we can rest because he sent his own son in the flesh to reverse the curse. This is why what I was even even going back to confession. This is why, Jesus in his flesh is so important because it's not just his, his death, it's also his life of work that meets those requirements of work that we've never done. This is why he was a carpenter. This is why he did work in both spiritual and physical world because they're together. It's not just church on Sunday and, you know, rest of the work on the rest of the week. It's united. It's it's there. It's not just the Lord builds the house and this must be some spiritual house. No, it's not just a spiritual house. It's every part of us. It's all of us. And this is why I love in, in Proverbs when when um, <clears throat> Solomon says this, and I always wondered what this is. You may have even heard this phrase. Maybe you have it etched on a pillow somewhere. <laughs> It says, commit your plans to the Lord and he will establish your steps. You know, maybe you've heard that before if you're familiar with uh, Christianity or some sort of uh, spiritual thing. Commit your plans to the Lord. What, what, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what, is, what does that mean? I love I was looking up that word and the word commit means to roll away. It means we actually roll away. You know, when I've played uh, Play-Doh with my, my younger son, particularly, I did, used to do this when my older son was playing with a little more. It was a moment. Here's a moment. He'd get the, he'd get the Play-Doh and he'd make some things out of it, but he'd come to a point where he was like, I I can't, I can't make this thing. He's wanting to press it. He's wanting to make like a shape. And what he would do is he would actually roll the whole, whole dough to me. The Play-Doh would just kind of roll over this mass with little fingernail things in it, you know? And what's he doing? He's rolling it away from himself to me. Because what, Here's the thing. We typically plan around what we care for most. And what God wants most is us. What he wants is your heart. When it means to commit your plans to the Lord, it means he wants you to roll your plans away. Not that you're giving up. It's not a let go, let God. It's actually rolling them away so that your focus is not just on your plans. Your focus is on the one who has them. That's what, that's what my son was wanting to do is he rolls them away. And because here's the thing, the hardest part isn't when we fail. See, what happens when your plans fail? Do we trust in God then? Here's the harder part. It's when they succeed. When all the things we want, the way we build, the way we want to start a family. Maybe we long to have a spouse. Maybe we long to have children. And we have plans. We have things that we want to have in front of us. And the question over and over isn't that those are bad to want or plan or even look for, but are we rolling them away to say, I'm okay, God, if you take these, change them, make them succeed or fail because my relationship with you determines who I am first. And that's what's hard. That's what hurts. That's what it means when he establishes them. It means we're putting them in his hands to say, I trust you with me because you love me more than I do. See, here's the thing. God isn't, and you may not like this saying because we're a bunch of Americans that feel this way. God isn't as involved or caring about your dreams as you think he is. He actually cares more than you do than your dreams. We have our dreams and our plans and our things we long for, we hope for. He actually doesn't care less. He cares more. More than those dreams and hopes that we have. See, that's why I think this passage at the end is is what it is. Verses three through five talk about family, and I'll I'll be honest. I I read the <clears throat> a journal of mine, and uh, from years ago uh, when I was writing on the psalm, and I was longing for to have children. That's what this part is about. And everybody here is probably in a different place of that. But what was interesting is seeing my desires, seeing what I wrote. And I don't even remember what date it was. I just know it was before I had, uh, we had uh, re- received our boys. And it was reading about my plans and what it meant to cry out to God. And it doesn't mean it's not difficult. that no, we don't cry out to him. But it's also seeing my desires and holding them out. It's being honest with him. It's being honest about our desires, our longings, and our plans, both in work and in family. Because it says here it's a heritage. And I wrote in in my journal, I said, this is really hard for me because this is something I want, God, and you're not giving this to me. This is what I really want. I want children, God. Will you give this to me? And it would be easy for all of us. We have those desires, and many here want a spouse, children, whatever that may be. But when he says a heritage, it's a gift. Some of us have children. And here's the thing. The gift isn't the child itself. It's the heritage of the gospel. See, whether we have children physically or spiritually, people that we're giving in our life, that's the heritage that's being passed on, the gospel of God. What is heritage? It's not not all children of our even physical bodies our children necessarily of the Lord. And what we long for here is that not just a bunch of children, that we have them, that is a longing and that is real, but we're also being faithful of the heritage we have, both physically and spiritually. Longing for that, reaching out for that, giving that. That's why we have this baptismal blessing that we read at the end of every baptism It says, it's a French baptismal blessing. It says, blessed children of the covenant. For you, God made the world. For you, the prophets and patriarchs were sent. For you, the covenants and promises were given. For you, God's revelation was written down. For you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ became man, lived a perfect life, died upon the cross, and was raised again for your salvation. You cannot possibly know these things now, but we... Your church promised to tell them to you until you make them your own. You know why we can trust in God's effectiveness in building is because of this table right here. This table proves to you and I that that covenant that we read is not in vain, that it's been brought to you and to me. It's been through broken buildings, (laughs) not even meeting in ours right now, It's been through broken families, through people who haven't even been a a part of the line of Jesus brought into that, that this redemption has come to you and to me. It comes through all those broken pathways, all the plans that man had, God used to bring the good news of the gospel to you and to me. That's what's amazing. And here's the proof that his plans that are established never go wrong is that nothing has kept him from bringing the Lord Jesus to you. Nothing. Nothing's held it back. Nothing in your family, nothing in your building, your life, your work, your faith, all of that. And so where does our faith go? Does it go to our plans first, or does it go in the God who establishes them through his son, Jesus